Accacenzi sto bella pregonda, all'insigma splashiva, l'onzi shoot defensa. Defensa, shoot defensa, shoot defensa, shoot defensa, shoot. This is FNX. Listen to shoot the defense, it's unbelievable, Jeff. This is Giuliano Maiorana. This is Leon Knight. Everyone, this is Sean Wheelock, better known as the Big Wheel. Yo, you're rolling with Ricketts, you're listening to Shooter's Defense. Yo, check out their show. This is uh, Tony Vidmar. Hi, this is Gabriel Marcotti, and you're listening to Shoot the Defense. I'll find my song and I won't stop this Hello and welcome to a very special Shooter Defence episode. My name is Stel and I'm joined on the line all the way from Doha, the senior football producer for Being Sports and author of Beg to Differ, Ali Beg. Ali, thank you for taking the time to appear on the show. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's our pleasure, absolute pleasure. Ali, you studied at Elon Academy, is that correct? And then you moved yes. to London where you became a model. Now, you're quite young when you moved down south, so was it difficult to adapt? After all, I mean, I know what London is like. It's very hustle and bustle, so, and it's much different to Aberdeen, I assume. Mm, yeah, I moved to London when I was 18. I just turned 18. Mm-hmm. So I was working in Aberdeen at the time, but... I wanted a new challenge. I was really fed up living in Aberdeen and working in Aberdeen, and I just wanted to do something different. And I was very fortunate that I got spotted by a, a Japanese modelling agency okay. after I did the after I performed on the Scottish Hair Show in Edinburgh. So from that, I moved down to London after being signed up by an agency called Lorraine Ashton Ing. Okay. And after about six months with Lorraine Ashton, Models One came on board, and Models One are probably the most renowned agency in London, arguably. So I was extremely fortunate that I managed to get into Models One after, you know, only six months in London. I moved to Chiswick. I lived in Chiswick. All right, okay. Yeah, so I, I, I moved down with a friend who who was actually going to university to study the media. Um, so it worked out perfectly. We both moved down together and he was already in Models 1. He was modelling part-time. Right. So it worked out really, really well for the both of us. Um, so yes, yeah, so I lived in Chiswick for, for a year. Lived, I lived just off Turnham Green and then I moved on to Chiswick High Road. Right. So, uh, yeah, which was rather noisy. After modelling, you then became part of the, the band called Bad Boys Inc. Now, was joining a boy band one of your ambitions or was it just one of the things that just happened? No, it just happened. It was it was um, it was very surreal. I you know I have no background in music whatsoever. The only time I ever sang was when I went to football matches. Okay. Um, so it was just I, I was extremely fortunate. I was just in the right place at the right time when my agency got in touch with me and said that a record producer had seen my photograph and wanted to meet me, and it just so happened that his recording studio was at the bottom end of Chiswick High Road, down towards near the roundabout. So I literally jumped on the bus and went down to see him, not really fully knowing 
what I was going to see him about. So I yeah. thought I was actually going down to get a job or something, okay. you know, maybe doing like a music video. So I really had no idea why this guy really wanted to see me. And when I, when I met him, he took me out for lunch and he explained that he had produced Take That's hits and uh, he'd had a bit of a run-in with the management at Take That right. and he decided to put his own boy band together and he wanted me to be a part of this boy band. And it was all very weird. It was all very odd. I had to sing for him. I told him I couldn't sing. I had to dance for him, which was, you know, which was hilarious at the time. So it was all very, very bizarre. But he sold it to me. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm a fully paid up member of a boy band. And it was just the most surreal couple of days because I literally went from from modeling to doing photo shoots, singing lessons, dance rehearsals, recording an album. Um, yeah, it was all very, very bizarre. Well, I think the group achieved, was it six top 30 hits in a top 10 album? Um, yeah. I yeah. take it there's a lot of touring involved. And did you have any strange fan requests? No, not, not really. You know, the, I've been asked the question many, many times about the fans and, you know, did we really live the life of a, of a rock and roll star? And no, we didn't, not at all. Um, to be fair to our fans, they were, we had, we had two different sets of fans when it came to the age group. Mm -hmm. So we discovered that we had very, very young fans. Right. Um, I think the average age of our youngest fans was anything between, say, nine years old and 14, 15. Then there was a bit of a gap. And then we found out that we had quite a mature following, anything from, say, the age of 28 to I think it was about 43, 44. So it was, uh, it was, it, there was quite a big shift in the, the age group of the, the fans that used to follow us. So, but they were very loyal. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it, what's actually very humbling and very, very nice is the fact that even now, you know, there's, Bad Boys Inc. fan sites and Twitter sites and Facebook pages and all the, the, the girls that used to follow us on a regular basis, you know, they follow us now. They've, they've, their lives have moved on just as much as ours. They've all grown up, married, families, but they've all still remained very, very good friends um, and still follow Matthew, David, Tony and I and follow our careers and get in touch now and then. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's actually quite humbling. Absolutely, I can imagine. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned social media because if the band was around now, do you think things would be much different? Yeah, totally, absolutely. I, I th you know, in, in hindsight, things could have been different and to be quite honest with you, should have been an awful lot different. We should have been an awful lot more successful than what we actually were. We, you know, it's... it's 25 years ago, so yeah. it's a very, very long time ago, and sometimes I have to really, it, it, it makes me, sometimes it makes me sit back and go, God, it's, you know, a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was a difficult period, you know, it, it was, it, it's only been in the past five years where I've only really been able to sit down and comfortably talk about it. Before then, you know, if people asked me the question, I would always shy away from it. If right. people asked me about the band, I would, I would turn away, I would change the subject very, very quickly. And 
it's only really been since I met my wife that I've been able to really open up about it and, and be comfortable talking about the whole experience. Um, hence one of the reasons why I, I wrote the chapter in the book about the band. So as much as it was difficult, it was, it was good fun. I was extremely fortunate to travel all over the world. We toured all over the world. We met some fantastic people and just um, experienced things that, you know, people would give their left arm to do, especially aspiring pop stars, people that go on all these reality TV shows to try and break into the record industry. You know, these guys work extremely hard and extremely dedicated to their art. I was extremely fortunate just to, to be in the right place at the right time and fall into it. So I fully understand why these people are so desperate to do it, um, which only now makes me really appreciate the fact that I went through that experience. Mm, fantastic. Well, when the band eventually broke up, you did a coaching course with the help of Neil Simpson. Um, mm. I hear you had a trial with, with Blackpool, is, is that correct? Yeah, I, so I, I had a trial with Blackpool and Burnley, but that one was when I was a teenager. Oh, okay. So I, uh, I, I was a trainee at Aberdeen Football Club, so every Tuesday and Thursday night I trained with a pick of the schoolboys from the Aberdeen area at Pataudry on a Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. And uh, my boys club won a, won a renowned international youth football festival. It was, it's not called it anymore, but back in the, the mid 80s, it was called the Aberdeen International Football Festival. Okay. And we won the under 17s tournament. And by winning that, I was spotted by a, a Blackpool and Burnley scout who invited me down um, to the Northwest to train with Blackpool and Burnley for a week, and I did, but you know, I was never good enough. I never got through the trials. So um, yeah, that was that. That was uh, that was when I was a teenager. Excellent. So, do you, do you feel that coaching was your niche, and and uh, were you given the opportunity to gain some experience at any other clubs? Well, what I wanted to do when I left the band, I was kind of stuck in a rut. I didn't. I knew that I wanted to work in football, but I didn't know in what capacity. So after the band split up, I took a year out just to basically get myself back on my feet, clear my head, um, sort myself out financially because after the band split up, we were left in, we really were left in dire straits and we were left to fend for ourselves and it was a, it was a complete mess. You know, we, we had a private limited company which we were all directors of and we had to wind the company up and make sure that all the debts were paid off and it was a horrendous experience for somebody of my age to go through at that time, mm. considering the, you know, the seriousness of what was going on around us when it comes to the financial implications. So it was a very, very difficult period, and I was only 22 years old when the band split up, and was basically left to fend for myself. Okay, I had incredible support from my family and my very, very close friends, but the people that I thought were there to look after us moved on. And basically cast as a side, and it was uh, it left a very bitter taste in the mouth, and it left me feeling quite frustrated with life and very very angry at the very same people that I thought were there to look after us. So that's why I took a year out just to to sort myself out and to decide what I wanted to do next. And hence that's why I did the the Scottish Football Association coaching courses with the help of Neil Simpson and became a, a qualified coach and stepped into coaching. So I did quite a lot of coaching up north um, in Aberdeen, did some coaching with a few associations up there and um, spent the summer uh, coaching for the Arsenal in the community. Okay. 
because at the time I was playing for the Arsenal ex-pros and celebrity football team. Right. And uh, the the head of their community is a, is a guy called Alan Sefton, who's just been awarded an MBE. And uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in, in becoming a coach with Arsenal and the community. And I did and went away and did a load of coaching during the summer, which was incredibly um, rewarding. It was, it was very good for my soul. Um, it meant I was earning money again. And it was just uh, really good fun. Excellent, fantastic. How did you end up working in the media? Because you, you've since built up a really impressive CV. I mean, can you tell us a bit about your career path in the media? Because you worked for Celtic TV, MUTV. Raised a lot of eyebrows there. Yeah, it was, again, it was nothing that I really saw myself falling into because after I started coaching, I became a, a qualified health and fitness advisor. And when I first left school, I worked in the leisure industry. So I, I, um, I worked in health centers in the Aberdeen area. And after I became a qualified football coach and after I did all my summer coaching with Arsenal, um, I still needed a full-time job because I was only working part-time. So I needed to get back to, to work full-time. You know, I had a mortgage to pay, I had bills to pay, etc., etc. You know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't at the depths of deprivation, but I was getting very conscious that I was needing to earn a full-time wage again. So I got extremely fortunate that I managed to find a job managing a small gym in a hotel um, in Elstree, just outside London. And I worked there for three years and I had a, I had a wonderful three times in the hotel. And it, it, it helped me build up my confidence again. It, it put me back on my feet. It put me financially stable again. It, it meant I was able to pay off all my debts that I was still, I still incurred when I, during the time of the band. So through that, a friend of mine who I met when I was in the band, he was a, a disc jockey. He worked for a, a radio station in Portsmouth. And he was working for a shopping channel based out of Liverpool called... Granada shop, right. which basically sold everything from the Littlewoods catalogue. Okay. It's a presenter on the show. So he called me one afternoon, just out of the blue, and said to me, we desperately need somebody who can show the public how to use health and fitness equipment and sell it to them and, and tell people why they should be doing it and become the channel's health and fitness advisor. So after a, a couple of screen tests, I, I went up to Liverpool twice a week, did a couple of shows with Andy, and it just went incredibly well. And all of a sudden, I just felt very comfortable in that environment, in a television environment. And after doing, I don't know, maybe a month on the shopping channel, I was traveling home on the train one afternoon back to London, and I just thought to myself, I think this is what I want to do. I think I can forge a career in broadcasting. And, I, and because I wanted still to work in football, I thought this could be an opportunity to maybe use the shopping channel as a stepping ladder to get into football broadcasting. Yeah. So eventually, after about two or three months, the shopping channel said to me, look, we, we want you to present these programs on your own. Because at the time I was presenting it with a co-host, so I had a presenter who actually presented the program and then asked me the questions about the, the fitness equipment and, right. and basically for people how to be healthy. So in the end, they came to me and they were comfortable enough with me saying, look, we want you to present this on your own. We think you've got the capabilities to present it 
and sell the equipment at the same time. So I thought, fantastic. So that's what I did. So through that, through working on the shopping channel, it basically developed me, it developed my skill set as a presenter and for any aspiring presenter, and again, I've written it in my book, if you want to become a television presenter, my advice to any aspiring presenter is get yourself a job on a shopping channel because it's the perfect platform to learn the trade because there's no hiding place. Mm. For example, you know, when I was on the shopping channel, I used to have to sell all kinds of stuff. And I'm talking stuff like a pair of socks, a pair of running socks. And you get a five minute slot to sell socks. Mm. Now, what on earth can you say for five minutes about a pair of socks? Now, you have to fill that time, which means you can't hide. And you have to tell people for five minutes the benefits of wearing a pair of sports socks. Now, if I can talk nonsense for five minutes about a pair of socks, I think I can talk about football for five minutes. So it's the perfect education for people that want to move into television because you learn how to take cues from the director and the producer. You get to learn how to come on air, how to take the program off air because everything is, everything is done to the second. You get timings all the way through the program. And you have to be strict with those timings. Mm -hmm. um, you can't hide. You know, all of a sudden, if you find yourself running out of something to say, you've got to find something else to say. Yeah. Because if you dry up, you're still on air. That's right. People are watching you. So for me, it's the perfect platform to learn the trade. So from there, I... Sorry, I've just waffled on a bit. From that's there, fine, fine. I, I, I got spotted by... Uh, a senior producer at MUTV, Manchester United Television, who was over in Liverpool just doing a little bit of work experience on the shopping channel. And he, and he saw me and he approached me and said, look, MUTV have, um, have been given a budget to make a youth magazine program. And I think you'd be the ideal candidate to present that program. So after going through sort of an interview process and doing a couple of screen tests for them, they offered me the job. Excellent. So th that's basically how I got into into sports broadcasting was through the channel, and then the next thing I know, I've got a, a full time contract with Manchester United Television, and I moved up to Manchester, and that's basically how I started. Fantastic. And then you ended up working for Celtic TV. Now, being an Aberdeen fan, was that a bit, yeah. uh, bit difficult? <laughs> um, do you know it wasn't actually because I tell you what was difficult originally after Satanta Sports secured the, the broadcasting rights for the Scottish Premier League, they decided to set up Celtic TV and Rangers TV. Right. And they offered me the Rangers TV to start with, um, which, trust me, was that was painful because okay. I, 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 I still needed to financially get myself back, back on track, even though I'd been working on the shopping channel and working the gym. I, I still, you know, in relative terms, I still was earning a, earning a very, very average wage. So, and I still had debts to pay from the band. So I really needed to start earning more money. And I was in a bit of a dilemma. It was, you know, it, it was a very difficult decision to make because I just, I, you know, as an Aberdeen fan, Rangers are not very popular with us. Mm. And I just didn't know how I would be able to cope one is a football fan, 
but two, as a professional working for a football club that, to me, were they were our biggest rivals, our, our arch rivals, the, the team that I despised, the team that I hated as a youngster growing up. Mm. And I just thought, how am I going to do this? And in the end, you know, my my heart was saying no, but my gut was saying yes, because really, from a financial point of view, I had no choice. Plus also, again, like the shopping channel, I saw it as a major stepping stone in my career. So when I, I, I got called up to Glasgow from the executive producers of, the, of the, the club channels to discuss it in further detail. So while I was driving up from Manchester to Glasgow, I was still very torn about whether I wanted to accept the job or not. Um, so when I arrived in Glasgow, the guy actually said to me, the executive producer, we've actually had a change of heart. We want you to present Celtic TV. I swear to God, I could have hugged him. Honestly, <laughs> I, I was hated. I could have hugged him. Celtic TV held no fear for me at all. I knew I could present Celtic TV and I knew I could get through Celtic TV. Um, yes, there's still the, the, the rivalry between the fans and um, you know, like any football fan rivalry, there's, there's an, a very small element of an unhealthy rivalry. But I knew if I cast that to one side, I could get through this because there is actually a, a bit of a mutual respect between Celtic and Aberdeen fans. And, you know, I, I'd, had a, I'd been to Celtic Park many times. My grandfather was a, a very well-known and respected football journalist in Scotland and, and he was very good friends with Jock Steen for many years. Wow. And he, he knew all the guys at Celtic, all the, the Lisbon Lions and, and uh, you know, your, your Billy McNeils and all these guys. So it, it, it was not overly difficult to accept the job at Celtic. And when he said to me, look, we want you to be the Celtic TV um, presenter, I, I was absolutely elated and signed up there and then. I, I didn't need any persuasion. I signed up there and then. Fantastic. Well, you, you also work for Sky Sports News, Sky News. Um, mm. Even even Thomas Cook TV now was that very similar to the, the shopping <laughs> channel work in terms of thinking about uh, the things? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Thomas Cook TV was just basically you, you, it was a very simple job. It was just you're sat in a studio with a co-presenter and you're just giving viewers information about holidays that they can book via Thomas Cook. So it was uh, it, it, it was a, it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, again, it, it was a good learning experience for me because. It was all done off autocue, um, bouncing off a co-presenter, and they sent me on a couple of fantastic trips. You know, I went to, to Cuba for 10 days to make wow. a show out there, and that was really good fun because that was the first time that I'd actually gone away on a trip to make a television program. So again, there was there was a great deal for me to learn from that experience, um, which again, I took into to my other roles at Celtic TV and eventually when I moved out to Singapore as well. That's that's impressive. I mean, I'd, I'd love to go to Cuba. That's one of the places I'd, I really want to go. Oh, it's to. fantastic. It's a great place. If you get a chance, go. Yeah, I, I definitely. Ali, well, I'll tell you what, you, you've written a book called Beg to Dicker, yes. which is a fantastic play on words. What is it all about and, and how long did it take you to write? Because given what you've already told me in this short period of time, you've actually achieved a lot. Yeah, it, the reason I wrote the book is because in 2003, Aberdeen was celebrating their centenary year. So I had read many a book about the club from a historical point of view, mm -hmm. but I was yet to read a book from a fan's point of view. Right. Plus also, I was recovering from breaking my leg. I broke my leg really badly in 2003 and in the downtime during my recuperation period I just I, I had nothing to do so while I was reading these books I thought to myself well why don't you write your own book 
because I, I felt I had actually something to say, something different to say from a fan's perspective. So I'd, I'd only just recently read Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby as well. Yeah. I was really taken by the book. And I thought to myself, if I can try and model my book on it, not do it as Nick had done it, but, but use that as a model, maybe I could put my own spin on my own story. And because I felt that I'd been through the band and I was going through my, my qualification courses, I felt I had something different to say. So I actually started writing the book 10 years ago. And I, I dipped into it and then I got fed up with it and I put it away for a couple of years and then I came back to it and wrote a little bit more and got fed up with it and got frustrated with, with, with my writing and my, my lack of writing skills and all that kind of stuff. And again, I cast it aside and left it for a few years. But I always went back to it and it was always, it, it was always at the back of my mind that this, this project that I had started should be finished. Yeah. And I only, I only really knuckled down to it after I left Singapore and moved to, to Qatar. Because again, Aberdeen Football Club had been through an awful lot in that 10 year period. Um, I personally had been through quite a lot in that 10 year period. Um, so again, I just thought, well, I've got more stories to tell people. I felt with what happened with me in Singapore after I lost my presenting job and stepped into producing right. that I could elaborate on that story for, for, for people who were, who wanted to step into the, the media industry and want to be television presenters and want to work in sports broadcasting. I thought possibly if I can use if they can use that book as a tool to fully understand the pitfalls of the industry, um, I might be able to make the book a little bit inspiring. So I had, I had it very much at the back of the mind, yes, to write my story, yes, to tell my tales, but also to try and make the book inspiring for people that want to move into possibly the music industry or want to move into the television industry. So I finished it literally while I was living in the hotel in, in Qatar waiting for my, because I moved over and then my family moved over after I moved. So while I was in the hotel, I, I knuckled down and I finished it. Um, and I was, I was really, really pleased with the finished product and a publisher came on board and wanted to publish it. So yeah, it, you know, it hit the shelves last October and I really have to pinch myself that I'm a published author. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I'll tell you, have you had any uh, much feedback on the book from from other people like celebrities and whatnot? Um, uh, not so much from celebrities, no. Because to be honest with you, I'm not interested in celebrities. I, I, have, I have no interest in that whatsoever. You know, if if uh, if a person in in the show business world or you know a celebrity reads the book and likes it, fine. But I, you know, I couldn't care less. To me, it. The book was written for the general public. The book is written for football fans. It's written for people that, that want to have that little bit more extra in life, but don't quite know how to do it, don't know quite how to gain it. Um, you know, because I have said to people, look, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yes, I've had a lot of luck along the way. I, as I mentioned before, I've been in the right place at the right time. So that has played its, its part. But I have been very ambitious. I've never really allowed the adversity to get on top of me. You know, I've been through a lot of nonsense in my life, mm -hmm. which I've had to really deal with. And if I haven't, if I hadn't dealt with it in a positive manner, I don't know what would have happened. Because you know, when I came out of the band, I, I can't begin to tell you how horrendous it was. Yeah. Um, and then when I lost my presenting position because the MD of of my company at the time decided 
after two years that he didn't like my Scottish accent and then hired a presenter who, in my humble opinion, and without trying to blow smoke up my ass, I didn't think he was he was anywhere near as good as I was when it came to presenting football. And it just left me really frustrated and really angry and very disillusioned with, with the industry. And again, it's like, right, so we have to... I have to pick myself up, I have to dust myself down, I have to reinvent myself again and go again. And this was at the age of 36, 37, and I just thought, I can't keep doing this every 10 years or every 15 years because it's it, it's soul-destroying. So again, I've written about it in the book to try and you know make people, um, really inspire people that they can, whatever ambitions they have in life, they can achieve it with a good good solid family behind them, support behind them, but also drive, determination, ambition, self-belief, etc., etc. Yeah, I guess with the introduction of social media over the past five to ten years, you know, the, the market has become quite saturated. There's a lot of people that want to get into journalism and, and want yeah. you know, a, produ- a, a, a job like the one that you have at the moment. So I guess, yes. you know, your book is probably a good little blueprint for them you know, in the, in, the, in the sense of, you know, they can read your experiences and, and basically use that as a tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's you know when I was writing the book, I, I never really had that in my mind when I first started writing the book because I just wanted to tell my tale about yeah. being an Aberdeen fan. But then you know as my life evolved and and all of a sudden I'm facing adversity in my life, I just thought, okay, let's write about this as well, and and let's make let's educate people about the music industry, let's educate people about the television industry, and and just tell the truth because you know people go into it and think. If they go into the record industry, they're going to become instant millionaires, they're going to become instantly recognisable, and their lives are just going to become wonderful and amazing and fantastic. It's not like that at all. Mm -hmm. You have to work incredibly hard. You know, I, I was in the band, we were together for four years in total, but in the public eye, about three, just over three and a half years. And... In that time, I earned £16,000 net. Wow. £16,000. Yeah? And that included a £6,000 advancement from the record company when we first signed the deal. So in three years, you could argue that my actual earnings, if you take away the advancement, was £10,000 in three years. Now, people don't see that. And they have to become aware of it. So when I see these guys on the X Factor and... Uh, you know, I, I don't know these shows anymore because I haven't lived in the UK for so long. Um, and I, I just, I just briefly read the other day that Simon Cowell had dropped an act again. Right. Yeah. And it, it's to me, it's sickening. And and I know I, I don't want to be disrespectful to Simon Cowell, but he has missed the point of why he made that program. Mm-hmm. He made that program to to offer somebody their dream. And what he does is they're now at the position where they're offering these people their dream and then they're taking it away from them, Um, all for the sake of a television program. All they're interested in now is making a television program and they've lost that fundamental core of why they were making that that television program was to give somebody an opportunity to live their dream. And for me, it's wrong. It's become all wrong. and it's, and it's awful, and, and I really, really sympathize with these people because I've been through it, and I know what it's like to be put on a pedestal, given this fantastic opportunity, have all these people around you build you up, and then all of a sudden you're just dragged down again um, without any support. And, and try doing that when you have no money. 
Um, you know, that's why, and I know this can sound very callous, and I don't mean it to sound callous, you know, when, when Britney Spears went through her problems, I have no sympathy. Mm. Because, to me, it was self-inflicted, and again, this is just a, it's, it's a personal, these are my personal opinions, and it, it may not be the opinions of, of a lot of people, but it's just a personal opinion. Um, she went through her problems because it was self-inflicted, uh-huh. but she also had the financial backing behind her. Right. You know, she was, she's financially stable. So my point is, you try and go through what she went through when you've got no money. You have to trust me when I tell you, it's horrendous. So when all of a sudden you think your career is going to go to the next level, and then it's not, and it crashes quite dramatically, um, it's very, very difficult. So the type of character that I was, the type of person that I am, you know, I was able to get through it. Um, so again, that's why I, I wrote about it in the book is just to educate people about it and to warn people about the pitfalls because you do have to be very, very strong and do not go into it to make money. If, if you go into it with the attitude that I'm going to become an instant millionaire or an over millionaire, you're doomed. You are doomed when you start. You have to go through many years of serious hard graft yep. before you start earning a decent crust, yeah? Um, but, you know, to counter the negativity, it's incredibly rewarding. You know, I went through some incredible experiences, performed on some fantastic television programs, met some great people, um, performed all over the world, and just basically had a fantastic time over a three-year period. Um, so, again, just reiterating the point, there are pitfalls, and that's why I wrote about it in the book. Not to put people off, but to just open their eyes to to what the music industry and what the television industry is really like. It, well, you're working in Doha for being sports. Is is it a similar kind of environment there now? Because it, there's a lot of money in, in that part of the world. Yeah. So would you say that things are a bit more toned down over there than it is everywhere else? Um, the... When I, first, when I first moved to Doha, um, I, I left Singapore after, um, after Fox International Channels came in and, and they, they bought over ESPN, because when I moved to Singapore, I was presenting for ESPN. Right. And, and they just wanted to take the company in a different direction. And it, it, I didn't really believe that what they were trying to do was the way that my career wanted to go. Um, and they lost the, the rights to show the Premier League football. They lost more rights to show other football properties that we had. So their, their broadcasting of live football was being diminished quite rapidly. Um, so being sports actually came in at the right time. So originally it was Al Jazeera Sports. That's right. And then, then last January they, they completely rebranded um, to being sports. So... Coming here has been an absolutely fantastic move for my career. Um, you know, I worked with Andy Gray and Richard Keyes for the first year. I, I produced them both on our Premier League coverage and learned a, a huge amount mm-hmm. from them. It made me look at how to produce live football television programs in a completely different light. It made me look at how we analyse the game completely different. My skill set as a producer has improved tenfold for working with them. And uh, it's it's been a fantastic move for my career 
coming out here to Doha. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy here. I moved off the, the, the Premier League this season um, uh, because I'd worked on it for five years and I wanted a different challenge. And I, and I, I, I love the Bundesliga and we, we got the rights for the Bundesliga. So I asked my boss if I could produce the Bundesliga because I, I absolutely love the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Um, so I produced the Bundesliga out here. I do the Europa League out here. I've just recently produced the Asian Cup out here, which was really good fun, very, very hard work, but very rewarding, um, because it just improve, it improves your knowledge of football, um, and that's all I was aiming to do, was just to improve myself as a person, improve myself as a producer, and improve my knowledge, and working across all these different properties, Bundesliga, FA Cup, uh, Carling Cup, Scottish Premiership, um, you know, the Asian Cup. All these different properties I'm working across, and it's improving my, my, my skill set and my knowledge tenfold. So it's been a fantastic, fantastic move for me coming out here. Well, yeah, you, the, the weather must, can't be too bad either. Oh, let me tell you, at the moment, <laughs> at the moment during the day, it's, it, it's, it's a very delectable 28, 29 degrees, but at night, it dips. And you have to trust me when I tell you, it can actually get quite cold here at night. Wow. Um, Last year, it was actually colder. Uh, this year hasn't been too bad, but it's still, you know, you have to put a jacket on and a scarf, and when we take the dog for a walk late at, late at night, you know, you have to wrap up because it's really cold. <laughs> but, the, but, but the summers, oh, dearie me, it is hot. You know, Singapore was hot, but Singapore was humid. Here, it's a different kind of heat. It's that heat that bites at your skin, yeah. you know? Nothing um, like Aberdeen, then. Not, a, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> Well, too. I've I've been to uh, Dubai a few times, and uh, I remember the yeah. I remember the first time I was out there. It was it was it was night time, and we was in the in the hotel, and we had you know you got the aircon on all day, and then yeah. when you step out, it's like you know when you get off the plane, it's mm. that that heat just hits you. Incredible, yes. absolutely incredible. Because yeah. we, we before I moved here, um, we uh, my wife's from Austria, so we we travel back and forth to Austria quite a lot. And we came via Doha on, on one of the trips back to, to Austria. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning and we stepped off the plane. And I was like, just this wall of heat. <laughs> you're just welcomed by this, this brick wall. And you're like, oh my God, is this what this place is like? Um, and that's at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the summers are very intense, very intense. But it's well worth it. Well, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's a great place. It's uh, you know, it's really developing, and everywhere you look, it's uh, the, the building everywhere, and it's going to be some place. Well, you know, obviously they're doing an awful lot, an awful lot of work leading up to the World Cup, but not just the World Cup. They have this vision for twenty thirty, um, how they want the country to be, and it's it's just mind boggling. Mm. It really is. But it, you know, it's even in the two years that we've been here. Um, you know the company has evolved incredibly, so yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's a very good time to be living here. Fantastic. Well, so before I let you go, Ali, um, let's mm. talk a bit about your your beloved Aberdeen because they're second in the table. I think they're six mm. points behind Chelsea, uh, Celtic, sorry, and they've got Hamilton away today. Um, yeah. Do you think they can close the gap on Celtic? Or is Celtic just too strong? Um, Celtic still have. I think Celtic still have one more game in hand. Right. So potentially they could go nine points clear. If they go nine points clear, I think that'll be too much of a gap, even though we play them at Celtic Park on the 1st of March. Right. But today, and I tweeted about it earlier, all of a sudden, because Celtic won yesterday, 
you know, every game for us at the moment has meaning. And it's incredibly exciting after Mm -hmm. all these years that every game we go into has a meaning. Now, I've not been able to say that for going on 25, 30 years. So, for me as an Aberdeen fan, born in the generation that I was in the early 70s, all of a sudden I'm now catapulted back to my youth where Aberdeen were winning and dominating Scottish football um, in the, the late 70s and early 80s and, you know, up to the late 80s and early 1990s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm catapulted back to my youth and today, already, I've got up this morning, I've taken my little one to kindergarten and I'm thinking about the game in the car. <laughs> um, you know, because it's it's a, it's going to be a really difficult game today. They beat us comfortably in the corresponding fixture at Hamilton um, last time round on, you know, it's a plastic pitch. It's an we shouldn't be playing professional football these days on a plastic pitch, I think. And I know it's this 3G pitch that everyone raves about, but, you know, come on. We're in the 21st century. Please don't tell me there's not a good gardener out there <laughs> with some decent grass seed who can, you know, make a football pitch. Give me peace. Um, I understand why they do it, because it, it's revenue for them. So, you know, I get it. But come on, this is a Scottish Premiership professional football club. They should have a proper grass football pitch. So, you know, I'm nervous about today's game. I'm, I'm feeling apprehensive about today's game because it's vitally important that we win. We have to win because we have to keep in touch. Um, because for me, I want to go into the game in March only a couple of points or, you know, a handful of points away from them um, so that we give ourselves half a chance. Um it's all I want. I just want the boys to push Celtic because I want to see how Celtic react. Um, I'm really enjoying the the noises coming out of Pretoria at the moment from the players. It's a uh, you know there's a lot of positive mental attitude and the when you hear the, the pre-match interviews, we think we can push them. We believe we can push them. We're going to take them all the way. It's really refreshing to hear the players talking like that because it's positive. Mm. I just it reflects on the pitch. So today's a huge game as far as I'm concerned. Every game at the moment for us is a huge game because every game has a bearing, it has a meaning. So oh, I, just, I, just, I just really hope we get the points today. For me, and I, I spoke about this the other day with a couple of my Celtic supporting pals, we just, for Aberdeen, we just have to take it one game at a time. We can't look too far ahead because if we look too far ahead, that's when the complacency starts to sit in. So we must just take it one game at a time get through it and then move to the next game so today's a huge game with a huge bearing so and it's live on Aberdeen's internet so I'm working tonight I've got a, a show to do tonight but I'll be sneaking off for an hour and a half um, well, pretending that I'm having my dinner so that I can watch Aberdeen we'll keep your phone on you we'll tweet your updates if you like yeah please do <laughs> please do because no doubt I'll be tweeting during the game as well fantastic well Ali look it's been an absolute pleasure my friend having you on the show I hope you can come Thank back you. on again and we can talk more about Aberdeen or even the Premier League if you like yeah I'd love to I absolutely would love to fantastic well thank you very much Ali like I said it's been an absolute pleasure and I uh, hope you have a great day sir thank you very much have a nice weekend thank you mate all the best cheers take care
So that was Ali Beg, senior football producer for Being Sports and author of Beg to Differ. Now the book is available to buy from the publisher, which is Rudling House, and that's at rudlinghouse.com. Ali Beg is also on Twitter at Ali underscore Beg. We're also on Twitter at Shoot the Defense. Visit our website shootthedefense.com. We're also part of the FNX Network, so if you're into sports, gaming, entertainment, lifestyle and tech, the FNX Network is the one for you. Follow them at FNX Network.